G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is entitled Christ the King and it focuses on 1 Timothy 6 as part of our Good Fight series. We hope you enjoy the sermon. The first reading this morning comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6 and it may be found on page 1460 of the Pew Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter 6. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have been believing masters are not to show their show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and urge on them. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree with the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to glorify sorry and a godly teaching he is conceited and understands nothing he has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that may result in envy strife malicious talk evil suspicions and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and, to any, and many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession and in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you, to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. Command these things who are, sorry, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds, 
and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been, give, uh, what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of which is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Loving Lord God, we thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no one more powerful, more good, and more worthy of our worship than you this morning. And so I pray that you would give us this time to focus our hearts and lives on you and to apply your word to our lives so we may focus on you every day. Amen. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Today we've reached the final part of our Good Fight series, looking at Paul's first letter to Timothy. It's been a wonderful ride through a very pastoral letter between an old church planter in Paul and his young apprentice, Timothy, who's trying to run a church in conflict. Over the past five weeks, we've looked at what it means to fight the good fight through organized worship, through whole life holiness, through good God talk, and by creating caring communities. Today, Paul signs off on this amazing letter, which ultimately calls us to service to Christ our King. There's a lot of practical stuff here, even as Paul finishes, but ultimately he sees the goal of our lives as to bring glory to God through our lives and to enjoy him forever. Lots of us don't have this goal in life. Our goal might be freedom, the freedom to enjoy ourselves and do what we want. Others might feel their purpose is to get rich or die trying, like the rapper 50 Cent. Some of us might live for happiness. As the Dalai Lama says, what is the meaning of life? It is to be happy and useful. The Feast of Christ the King is a relatively new celebration. It's this final Sunday before Advent. It was established in 1925 by Pope Pius XI. Essentially, it was in response to rising nationalism. World War I had finished, and again, countries were starting to think that my purpose in life is all, all about finding my purpose in my country. And it was also a very secular time, a time of a rise of secularism. The idea that my purpose in life is found in wealth and happiness outside of God. So in a way, the Pope was giving the ups to these ideas, and he was saying, you know what? Christ is king of our lives, and we live to serve our king, King Jesus. This is exactly what Paul is saying in 1 Timothy 6. So with that in mind, uh, we're going to look at what it means to live in praise to the king with service, 
praising the king with our money, praising the king with our allegiance, and ultimately praising the king by fighting the good fight. So chapter 6, if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to keep them open, 1460 in the Pew Bibles. Um, follow along so you can tell whether I'm telling you porky pies and making this stuff up or whether it's really in the Bible. Chapter 6 begins as chapter 5 left off, talking about showing honour to all. What's shocking to us in 2022 is that Paul is talking about slavery and slaves. He says, All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Slavery in Paul's day was everywhere. One in three people in the Roman Empire were slaves at the time, and there were 50 million slaves across the empire. Slavery was a cancer, and it drained the economic and moral forces of the community. But it was still common. Now, some people say the Bible is pro-slavery, but it isn't. However, N.T. Wright points out that Paul calling for a ban on slavery at this point in time would be like someone popping up in the middle of church today and saying, everyone is forbidden from using fossil fuels for the rest of their lives. We wouldn't be able to do it. We wouldn't be able to work, rock up to work the next day. We wouldn't be able to wear the clothes that we're wearing. We wouldn't be able to feed ourselves. We wouldn't be able to light our homes. We wouldn't be able to drive our cars home from church today if we could never use fossil fuels again. What was revolutionary about the church in terms of slavery is that from the beginning, it taught that slaves and masters were equal in the eyes of God. So you can imagine slaves going to church on Sunday and being equal with their masters, but then rocking up to work on Monday and taking their masters for granted, refusing to work because we're equal after all. Paul instead says that living for King Jesus is about living a life of honor to all. When believing slaves disrespect their masters, they turn people against God and the church. Instead, Paul calls Christian slaves to serve their Christian masters, and he says, even better, because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and urge on them. Paul knows that slavery is irreconcilable with the gospel, but he knows that the habit can't be kicked in a day. If you think back um, in time, not many of us need to think back too far about a day when smoking in pubs, at stadiums, and even on airplanes was, were commonplace. I remember flying in an airplane which had an ash, ashtray in the, um, in the armrest, but we don't do it anymore. Not because smoking was banned overnight, but because it was phased out. A ban would have forced cigarettes underground and made smokers into criminals, which they're not. Thankfully, laws outlawing, outlawing smoking gradually phased it out in public places, and it became socially unacceptable. 
Some things that are widespread need to be phased out slowly. And this is the case with slavery. Slavery still exists underground today. People still do it. But by slowly working against it, Christians and other campaigners have broken the back of the slave trade by making it socially unacceptable. For us today, we must see Paul's advice to slaves as a call for us to work hard for those in authority over us. This brings glory to our King. If we work for another Christian, this isn't a reason to slack off and take them for granted. It's a reason to work well in a way that lifts up those we work for and the King we ultimately serve. The next issue Paul tackles is the love of money. Finish this sentence. The love of money is the root of all... Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) It's a famous saying. And 1 Timothy is where this comes from. Except Paul doesn't say exactly the love of money is the root of all evil. Instead, he writes, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's a subtle difference, but instead of making money an evil in itself, Paul tackles the false teaching about money in the church. He writes, If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree with the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Here what we're talking about is a baby version of what ended up being called Gnosticism. Gnosticism became a full bona fide religion in 200 AD, but its roots are here. Gnosticism was the false teaching that there were mysteries and secret knowledge within religion that you had to unlock. It taught that matter, what we can see and touch, is bad, and that things that are spiritual are good. Ultimately, it taught that we're all spirits trapped in bad bodies and we need secret religious awareness to free ourselves. How does one get this religious knowledge, you may ask? Well, by paying the right teachers. These are the people who Paul is warning us against when he talks about those who see godliness as a means to financial gain. False teachers were robbing the people blind and drawing them away from Jesus. So Paul writes, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Get-rich-quick religions are still alive and well today. Sometimes they don't market themselves as religions, but believe me, there's a spiritual element to them. You might get emails, or you might get pop-ups on YouTube, all marketing ways to get rich without much effort. 
So how do we combat mindsets that treat money not as a means to an end, but as an end in itself? Money as the ultimate thing. Paul answers, contentment. Look at verse 6. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we have brought nothing into the world, and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Friends, contentment is our greatest weapon against making money a god in our lives. It's the difference between investing time in your family or letting work crowd your loved ones out. It's the difference between living in anxious debt and being content with the things that God has given you. It's the difference between squeezing out church commitments with work commitments or flourishing within your church family. Paul essentially is just backing up Jesus' teaching that we should seek God first and his righteousness and all things will be added to us. When we live simple lives, lives of thanksgiving to God, we bring glory to him. Paul tackles the love of money from a different angle in verse 17. Let's look at verse 17. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul has spoken to poor people who want to become rich. Now he addresses rich people who are tempted to become arrogant. He warns us not to put our trust in wealth, which is so uncertain. Often we're tempted to think that, think about our faith from an outsider's perspective and that Christianity is a gamble. But Paul reminds us that wealth is here today and gone tomorrow. A story is told of a widow of a millionaire who was asked after he died how much he gave away. Her answer, all of it. Here again, Paul reaffirms Jesus' teaching that we need to store up our treasures in heaven in preparation for the coming age, in preparation for eternity with God. If you have wealth, the Bible doesn't say it's evil. Instead, it tells us to use what we have to glorify our King, showing the hope, the world, sorry, showing the world that our hope rests not in our stuff, but in our Saviour. And this brings us to probably the most wonderful section in 1 Timothy. And I've turned turned this microphone off and put this microphone on only, um, just because I'm about to get really, really excited, so please excuse me. (laughs) It's just beautiful. Timothy's mind is clouded by worries about false teachers, squabbling in his church, and persecution from the world around it. Paul has good things for Timothy to do, but instead instead of laying up more tips... 
he bursts into song. Look at verse 11. He says, But you, man of God, and as you're reading this, you might think of your name, but you, David, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. As people of God, our goals aren't money, power, or worldly things. Instead, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness are the mark of a Christian life. Fight the good fight of the faith, Paul says. It was possibly a chant or like a war cry that people would cheer as they saw their athletes um, competing in the sports. It'd be like, Aussie, 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 oi, 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 fight the good fight. And Paul cheers us on in these verses. Nobody enjoys a fight. There's something warped about people who love fighting and go around just itching for a fight. But at the same time, Paul knows that life is a battle sometimes. Life is a battle. And so he calls us to fight and to fight well. He encourages us in verse 12. He says, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession. He may have been talking about Timothy's ordination, but he's probably talking about his baptism. And it reminds us that it's possible to possess something without embracing it and enjoying it. Yesterday, the Brown family got a puppy. His name is Huck. And he's super cute, so it's lovely to hear a ripple of aws coming out of there. (laughs) The boys love him. But as we've received him, I'm aware that if we don't feed him, play with him, and take him for walks, we won't be able to enjoy him in all his fullness. It's possible to have something wonderful and yet never to take hold of it. That's why Paul says, take hold of the fullness of what you have in Jesus. Friends, you can be a baptized Christian with a love for God and with the Holy Spirit living in your heart, but still be miserable because Jesus is not at the center of who you are. It's possible to have something, but not take hold of it. For Paul, Jesus is central, and this brings him unbridled joy. And so he makes this charge, a charge which turns into song. He says, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed, the only ruler, King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. You can feel the peace, the hope, and the joy that Paul feels as he writes this to Timothy. He knows there is conflict in the church. He knows Timothy is a weak, sick, and insecure leader. And he knows that there are all sorts of forces, spiritual and physical, outside the church that are trying to crush it. But the fact that the king of kings has the whole world in his hands 
makes these worries fade away. And so, friends, as we wrap up our One Timothy series, it's worth asking yourself, what am I living for? Who am I fighting for? Am I living for things that actually have no eternal value? Am I just existing, hoping that the fight will never come to me? Or am I fighting the good fight? Am I running the race? Am I keeping the faith with every ounce of me? It's a battle sometimes, and it might seem like a losing one. Yet as surely as Jesus died and rose victorious, so we will rise with him at the end of time as we trust in him. Anglican theologian John Stott points out that by ending his letter with the words, grace be to you, Paul ends where he started, wanting us to experience the transforming and sustaining grace of God. So let's praise the King with our service. Let's praise him with our money. And let's praise him with our allegiance today and every day. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.